Welcome to Lady and the Couch, a podcast about mental health and well-being, relationships, and topics specifically related to women. I am your host, Autumn Collier, a licensed psychotherapist in Atlanta, Georgia. Let's have a seat on the couch. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for being here today. So today's topic is analysis paralysis. This topic is something that comes up quite often when I speak with people, both professionally and personally, and they may not initially consider analysis paralysis to be happening, but as they speak more, it definitely sounds like that's what's going on. So this term, analysis paralysis, is not a clinical diagnosis or anything like that. It's a term that's been coined to describe a particular behavior. So analysis paralysis or paralysis by analysis they can be used interchangeably. It describes an individual or a group process where overanalyzing or overthinking a situation or a decision that needs to be made causes a pause or causes the process to halt and or become paralyzed from moving forward. So decision-making becomes paralyzed and nothing is done. So we're usually just stuck. We're paralyzed. Nothing is moving forward. You might be on a committee at work, or you might be on a board of some nonprofit or foundation, and maybe you guys are having to make a decision about something, and you're ready to pull the trigger. That's a phrase I say often, just pull the trigger. So maybe you're getting ready to pull the trigger and go. However, there might be that individual or a handful of individuals in the group who maybe need more information, or they want to review more literature. Or maybe they want to discuss all possibilities. Sure, that sounds fair. That sounds very practical. And then they want to rediscuss all possibilities. And then maybe they want to look for some more literature and then rediscuss based on the literature they just reviewed. Okay, now it's becoming cyclic, right? So this is kind of moving beyond fair, practical. This is becoming a loop. As you'll hear me say today, we're on a loop of constant analyzing, searching, researching, discussing, analyzing, searching, researching, discussing that just unending cycle. And before you know it, so much time has flown by that the deadline has either approached or passed. And what you're trying to accomplish now just gets tossed on the shelf because you can't come to a decision. So you're stuck. You're gridlocked in terms of moving forward. You're paralyzed. Paralysis by analysis can also look like an individual who needs to make decisions within their own life, maybe about career or next steps, and they just can't pull the trigger. And they can't move forward specifically because they are overthinking and overanalyzing every detail and ultimately trying to make the very best decision that is absolutely perfect and will definitely lead to the very best perfect outcome, right? And I say it like that, I say it a little dramatically, just to emphasize the idea that part of analysis paralysis and what we're trying to achieve is also a level of perfection or trying to eliminate anything going wrong with the decision that we make. However, whether we're trying to aim for perfection or trying to eliminate anything going wrong, both are extreme and unrealistic. We can't do that. When speaking with individuals, I see analysis paralysis quite often when it comes to career. So that might be the person debating whether to take a new position within a company or debating between two jobs, which one should they take between the two. 
and even starting their own business. That's another one. Now, of course, we want to do our due diligence and research the process, decisions that need to be made, have a good understanding, be knowledgeable so that we can make the best decision. That's a wise thing to do. However, when we see that we are constantly researching, constantly seeking advice or constantly looking for the best answer and it becomes cyclical, and again, there is no forward progress, we're unable to move forward, then maybe we're stuck in the loop, the loop of analysis paralysis. There are many reasons analysis paralysis happens, many. So we won't touch on them all, but I'll throw out a few. So one very obvious reason, this is kind of the low-hanging fruit as a possibility. One very obvious reason for analysis paralysis could be anxiety or some anxiety disorder. Someone may have a diagnosis of an anxiety disorder. Anxiety causes us to overanalyze many things and think about the worst case scenario of situations or all the what-ifs that could happen. And this can be paralyzing and halts us from moving forward. So that's a quick and easy reason for analysis paralysis, anxiety or an anxiety disorder. However, we do not have to have an anxiety disorder diagnosis to be paralyzed by the analyzing process. In fact, most of us likely do not have a diagnosed anxiety disorder or diagnosable anxiety disorder, and we experience analysis paralysis. So I just want to throw out anxiety as a cause for analysis paralysis. Again, it's low-hanging fruit. It's kind of like a duh, you know, someone with anxiety very well may enter into the loop of analysis paralysis. Other reasons for analysis paralysis might include having a poor outcome from a prior decision that was made. You know, maybe some time ago we made a major decision in our lives and it didn't pan out well or it didn't go as planned. Well, now we really feel that our confidence has taken a hit and we question ourselves and our own decision-making from this experience. Maybe now our confidence has decreased and we don't really trust ourselves to make the best decisions. So therefore, we rely on literature and research and overthinking and analyzing and making lists of the pros and cons and all those things to try to combat our low confidence or our low self-efficacy when it comes to making decisions for ourselves. And quite frankly, that is a natural response when something doesn't go well. We try to overcompensate the next time by working harder or doing more or learning more or becoming better or researching more so that what happened prior doesn't happen again. So it is a natural response maybe to do more the next time and totally understandable. However, there does come a time when it is maladaptive or doesn't work in our favor. And that is what we want to be able to recognize. Another reason we might enter into analysis paralysis is fear. Ooh, fear. Fear can just halt us in our tracks. Fear can stop us and make us go the other way. Fear is powerful if we let it become powerful. Maybe we're fearful that whatever we might put out to the world to see, maybe it's that new business we're forming or that new position within our company or that new job we're taking. Maybe we're fearful it may not be received well or we're afraid the outcome may not turn out well. It could be also that maybe we want to avoid any negative feedback. So therefore, we try to do our due diligence to make whatever we're doing perfect so that we do not have to subject ourselves to negative feedback, which also leads us into another direction for analysis paralysis or another contributor 
to analysis paralysis, which is perfectionism. Sometimes we are striving for flawlessness or perfection in terms of the outcome of the decision we make. However, that's unrealistic. The decision we make will never be absolutely flawless or perfect. So we'll never meet this demand. So let's say it's that the new business or a new product you're putting out and we are waiting to put it out because it needs to be perfect because we don't want to subject ourselves to negative criticism or we don't want to be embarrassed. It just has to be perfect. Then we'll never release it. We'll never do it because perfection does not exist. So now we're on the same loop. However, we tell ourselves it it has to be perfect. It does. So how do we get to that perfection, that unreal perfection? You know, we research, we investigate, we seek advice, we go on that loop and stay on that loop. Hence, we're paralyzed by analyzing and being on the loop. Same thing, you know, if you're trying to figure out what's the best job or next career move, we're analyzing what's the next best thing to do with the goal of trying to reach perfectionism in terms of, you know, my life needs to be perfect. I need to find the perfect job to create the perfect lifestyle. Everything needs to go well. And I need the perfect income to live the perfect life. My decision needs to be flawless and have the perfect outcome. You know, that's a lot of pressure. That is a lot of pressure. And of course, we're going to be stuck and paralyze those things because that also, you know, the stakes feel really high if we're aiming for perfection. So it's way easier to just do nothing in this situation because one, that perfect life does not exist. However, we're on the loop of, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to find it. I'm going to analyze. I'm going to keep aiming to figure it out. So we're just stuck on the loop. We'll be on the loop forever because what we think we're seeking does not exist. All right. So those are just a couple of reasons analysis paralysis may happen. There are tons others out there. I just want to throw out a few. And now I want to share six tips on what to do if you're experiencing analysis paralysis. Again, this is not an exhaustive list. However, these are some key steps, key ideas we can enact to help us move forward or engage in forward movement and away from analysis paralysis. So the first step, we want to recognize it is happening. Recognize it and label it as analysis paralysis. As with most things, before we can change the behavior, we must recognize that the behavior or the problem exists. So we need to recognize paralysis by analysis is happening and that we are stuck and there has been a lack of progress, which could have already taken place. The progress could have happened. However, we're stuck and there's been a lack of it. We need to recognize our lack of forward movement is somewhat on the extreme side of the spectrum and that a decision could have been made. If you are able to recognize the cycle or the loop you're in in terms of researching and thinking about the problem, making lists and charts and graphs, trying to get to the best decision, that is helpful to recognize your process, how you enter into the cycle or the loop and get stuck in it. Sometimes when we're in something, it's hard to recognize it. So maybe the way you recognize that you're on the loop is by noticing how long it takes you to make a decision, or maybe you've even missed a deadline and that's how you notice. You may think to yourself, you know, how in the world did I miss this deadline to have made a decision by? I've been thinking about it for the last three months. It's been on my mind the whole time. How in the world did I miss it? Yeah, because we've been on the paralysis loop. We've been stuck and paralyzed and doing nothing. The only thing that's been moving is our brain. Our brain's just been ruminating and moving and analyzing. But in terms of actual behavior and forward progress, that has not happened. So yeah, missing a deadline could be your key indicator or your telltale sign 
that you are on the loop. You may find that you're not as present as you like to be, or you are sacrificing what I personally consider our biggest commodity, which is our time. Your time is being spent analyzing as opposed to engaging with loved ones and enjoying life and being present. So that may also be a sign for you that you are constantly in your head analyzing things, yet there's no movement, no forward movement when it comes to making a decision. So recognizing the loop, recognizing the behavior is the first step. Next, explore your fears. What are you fearful of? What is the worst case scenario that keeps playing out in your mind that is inhibiting you from moving forward? These are things you want to explore. Oftentimes, the worst case scenario in our mind is way bigger in our head and way scarier in our head than it is in reality. You know, are you fearful of judgment or embarrassment of putting yourself out there or going after or starting something new? That could be a thing. Also, too, our fears could be related to a prior experience or prior situation that maybe you deemed as a failure. So I'll pause here for a minute too, because the concept of failure is subjective, right? You know, I rarely view anything as a failure, rarely ever view anything as a failure. It's usually more so a lesson. Whatever happens, if the outcome is not favorable, it's usually a lesson or something that propels us and allows us to improve and learn. So in addition to exploring your fear around making the decision or your fear around the what ifs or the worst case scenario that you're you're dreaming up in your mind, there might also need to be some work in reframing how you're looking at past decisions that maybe you've deemed, quote unquote, a failure and how that's being related to this current decision. You know, maybe the mindset is or our narrative that we say to ourselves is something didn't go well previously and it was a failure. So now I don't want to move forward because I could fail again. When in actuality, whatever didn't go well previously doesn't have to be seen as a failure. Maybe it's just a shift that was needed or a shift. Maybe it created a shift that was needed in your life to do something different, to propel you to something better. So explore your fear. Number three, limit researching and advice seeking. So this is part of the loop. There's a lot of researching and then there's more researching and more researching even via seeking advice from multiple people. We want to limit these behaviors. These behaviors will not get you any closer to making a decision. Once you've done your initial phase of researching or maybe advice seeking, which is part of the due diligence process, then anything beyond that is not benefiting you or helping you make a decision. What you do beyond that initial phase, what you're doing is trying to self-soothe. And here's what I mean. There's oftentimes a lot of anxiety around making a decision, a significant decision, because there is uncertainty and we don't know the outcome of something. We can never 100% know the outcome of something. So we research and we ask people what they think. And then we research some more and we ask more people what they think as a means to make us feel better, as a means to calm our nerves, to calm our fears, to calm our worries. That is all we're doing beyond the initial phase is trying to calm our worries by gathering more information or getting more advice from people. And what's interesting about this process is sometimes, you know, in our hearts, our inner wise self already knows the answer, already knows what we need to be doing, already knows the decision. However, our fear might be speaking louder than our inner wise mind. So when we go and do all this researching and advice seeking, then our research and our advice is likely going to align with our fears if our fears are speaking louder, right? 
So maybe there's something in our heart we want to do, but our fear is saying, no, 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 it may not go well. If our fear is speaking louder in that moment, then we'll go to our pessimist friend who's going to be like, nah, you probably shouldn't do that because that advice already aligned with your fears. So now we're like, whew, I'm glad I spoke with them. I feel better now. We feel self-soothed, right? I feel better now simply because we got someone to co-sign us not doing it. This is also a reason, you know, I'm not a huge fan of making a pros and cons list. You know, that's always been a popular method and I get it. It's practical. It's very practical. It makes perfect sense to do. You have a decision to make, write down all the pros of it, write down all the cons. That's a very practical thing to do. However, I believe that people can do those lists all day. However, they're going to do what they want to do anyway. And that list will correspond with whatever it is they want to do. If I have a decision to make, do I move to Florida or not? If I truly, truly want to move to Florida, then I guarantee my pros list is going to be three times longer than my cons list to move to Florida and vice versa. If I don't want to move to Florida, my cons list will be three times longer than the pros list regarding moving to Florida. I think that's just how we operate. So I really just recommend listening to your inner wise voice and practice listening to that wise voice that it becomes harder for us to ignore that inner wise self. So after that first round of researching and seeking practical advice, and let me pause here for a quick minute. I'll add in here as well. We don't need everyone's advice. Also, I would say maybe one or two individuals whom you feel or consider to be wise counsel. If it's a career decision you're making, then I would speak to your mentor in your field or a career mentor. But we don't need to go around asking everyone because that just becomes too much. It's just too much noise and it, it can become information overload and further confuse us and make us more indecisive. You know, that'll definitely put us in a stage of paralysis and we'll end up doing nothing. Same with the researching literature online. Limit that. Um, again, information overload. Beyond that initial wave of research, where we do our due diligence, we're not doing anything more than just creating information overload. And the more we research, we're just going to start contradicting what we originally researched anyway. So after that first wave, you have everything you need to go forth and make a decision. Number four, walk away. Sometimes we just have to walk away. When we are in information overload, constantly researching on the loop, going back and forth, trying to figure out what to do or what is best for us, Sometimes we just need to take a step back and walk away. Create some space and some time between yourself and the decision. Again, after that initial wave of due diligence with research and information seeking and guidance, nothing fruitful is really going to come from that. So let's say you have to make a decision you know, in about three weeks. Then tell yourself, okay, you know what? I'm going to stop thinking about it right now. I'll come back to it in two weeks. Create some space and time. And hopefully this will allow your brain to rest. And here's where you will do some mindfulness activities so that you can remain present and not ruminate on the decision while you're supposed to be having time and space between you and the decision. And then be intentional about when you come back to the decision that needs to be made. You know, there are many times where we can walk away from the decision and, and put that distance between it. And we find that the best answer just comes to us naturally because we put it down. We've surrendered to the idea that I don't have to try to control or contrive or manipulate an answer. I can just live and be mindful and the answer will come to me and I'll be shown what is best. Sometimes we just need to get out of our own way. So leave it alone for a while. Number five, make small decisions quickly. We want to build the muscle, our muscle of being able to make decisions promptly. 
you know, I often say, again, the term, just pull the trigger, or I'll say jump as my way of saying, let's go, let's do it. No more analysis paralysis. So we want to get in the habit of making decisions more quickly. And we can try this with everyday things such as, you know, what am I going to eat for dinner? What am I going to wear? Or which grocery store will I choose to go to today? These are small everyday decisions we have to make. What we want to do is make these decisions quickly so that we can start creating some muscle memory. We can start to see that by making a quick decision, regardless the outcome, our life is not derailed or made perfect by these decisions. We want to put the outcome of decisions in perspective. Sometimes we put way too much stock in what could be based on one particular decision. Making small decisions quickly can show us that our life will not be upended either way. So we're building muscle memory to know that the decision we make is not life or death. And we are increasing our confidence with each decision we make to know that I can make a quick decision and the world didn't end. We're creating data for ourselves, data to know we can make quick decisions and life goes on. The world didn't end and the world did not magically improve because I made a decision. So hopefully when it comes to those more significant decisions, let's say about career, we have some muscle memory to know that we can make a decision and that whatever decision we make, the world won't end if that decision doesn't go well. And even if the decision does go well, it will not make me have a quote unquote perfect life. We want to keep it all in perspective as opposed to all or nothing thinking or all or nothing on one side of the spectrum. Either it's great or it's not. The last tip, we want to welcome uncertainty. So I know this one can be difficult and no one wants to welcome uncertainty. We want to know. Why can't we just know, right? Well, we have to welcome uncertainty because we just won't always know. We just don't know. Uncertainty does not feel good. And yes, it does provoke anxiety in many individuals. Just the idea of not knowing can create feelings of anxiety in some. However, we want to learn to become comfortable with the idea that we don't know. The mentality can be, okay, I'm making a decision. I've researched it and I have literature to suggest how it may go. However, I just really 100% don't know how it will end. And I'm okay to go forth and find out how it will end and do it anyway. This is a space we want to enter into. I've done my part. I've researched. I've done my due diligence. And here's the decision I'm making. And however it goes, I can tolerate it. And I also have the power to do something different if I don't like the way it goes. We want to be in that space. Surrender to the idea that we don't know 100% and surrender to the idea that whatever does happen, we are capable to tolerate it and pivot if we need to. So I know welcoming uncertainty or surrendering to uncertainty is difficult, but you know, we have two choices. We can either resist it and create more anxiety and more discomfort for ourselves, or we can embrace it. And you know, if you can't beat it, join it, embrace it, and just ride the wave of it. Because regardless of which we choose to resist it or embrace it, uncertainty is happening. It's here, it's live and well, and it's not going anywhere. All right. So we have a few steps to help us push the gas pedal and get moving or pull the trigger, jump, however you want to frame it. Again, I'll recap. The first step is to recognize it is happening. Next, explore your fears, then limit researching and advice seeking. The fourth one, walk away. Tip five, make small decisions quickly. And the last tip is to welcome uncertainty. 
I hope you have found this episode helpful. If you find that paralysis by analysis is a common theme in your life and many decisions across the spectrum of significance are not being made or delayed and it is very uncomfortable for you or even creating negative outcomes, meaning you're missing deadlines, missing out on opportunities because decisions aren't being made. Then in addition to these tips, you may want to reach out to a professional to help you work through analysis paralysis as maybe there could be an anxiety disorder present, or maybe you just need to process some past experiences with decision-making. All right. So as we wrap up, I will leave you with this paraphrased quote that I like, which was stated by a commander in the army. And he said, a good plan executed now is better than a perfect plan executed at some indefinite time in the future. All right. Thank you all so much for joining me on the couch this week. I'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Lady in the Couch. Feel free to share this episode with your friends on all of your social media platforms. If you are in Georgia and seeking therapy, visit ladyinthecouch.com to learn more. Like what you heard? Feel free to give us a five-star review where you listen to podcasts. The content in this episode is not intended to diagnose or treat. It is for informational purposes only.